Welcome to Gom Jabber with the Maud Dweebs, a Dune podcast both thorough and flippant. Lily's bringing the energy tonight. I wish you could all see her right now. Uh, we are drinking our way through Frank Herbert's 1965 sci-fi magnum opus, Dune, two chapters at a time, uncovering the deepest of secrets and Dune-spiracies along the way. I'm Josh Stevens, our fearless troubadour, Gurney Halleck of the group, of former Live Off Group on Fame. And I have my co-hosts here, Alec Boyle and Lily Brislin. Uh, Lily, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? What up, nerds? We've got a new nerd in the in the nerd herd tonight. I'm really excited. That's why I'm amped, trying to get my energy up. I'm our reverend mother, our keeper of snacks, our drinker of the water of life, and all around uh, curmudgeon. I'm stealing that role from the other men. I can be a curmudgeon too. I'm gonna pass the the uh, sh- sh- this Chris knife to Alec. And I am Alec Boyle, your Baron Harkonnen. Uh, in that spirit, I need to let Josh know that I'm imposing new spice chapter quotas this week, and we are actually only working our way through Dune one chapter at a time from here on. Oh, work to like rule strike. It's like a reverse quota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> work to rule subje- strike. Yeah, I am subjecting our listeners to a more stretched out version of us working our way through this book. <laughs> uh, by, by which I mean... You got got to get the sponsors in while you can, man. Exactly. Milking this thing. Uh, So tonight we have a special guest, uh, Andrew, whose last name I have already forgotten, so I'm going to let him fully introduce himself. Hey, gang, I'm Andrew Mabry. I'll be your Stilgar deep in the desert sitch tonight. Yes! (laughs) Hell yes! Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, Uh, Why why are you here? Well, I uh, I am a Dune nerd, uh, one one of the OGs, readers of Frank's, follower of the Golden Path. We prefer the term Muad'Dib. Um, we welcome <laughs> you into the fold, and we share water. <laughs> yep. But uh, no, I got uh, I got introduced to Dune by my mom, who is a uh, huge dweeb herself. Uh, back when in high school. Lady dweeb. Yes! And uh, I kind of forgot about Dune for a while, and then. Stumbled upon it in a library on a fob in Afghanistan, and carried three books. <laughs> carried the uh, the original three uh, books with me on convoy and uh, on a bunch of missions while I was reading them, um, and that was when I like got a more serious look at it. I should fucking think so, Andrew. That is out of control. <laughs> <laughs> So when I say my 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 origin comes from deep in the sketch, I'm being serious. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. That's wild. What a choice for like whoever was running the library at that fob to be like, oh, you know what, we oh. should stop. <laughs> <laughs> it, I mean, it was it was whatever you know. It was 2010, so we've been there like nine years. So it was whatever you know families had sent over for okay, almost and they a just decade. Yeah, drift around. Okay. Oh yeah. That's... Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. The cop- copies awesome, were though. well used. And uh, this is going to, I'm sorry to do this already, guys, but this is bringing <laughs> me into Sabres of Paradise straight hey. out of the gate, <laughs> right? Because that's like, that's like the, the Afghanistan beta, right? If like the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan is 1.0 and the U.S. is 2.0, the war in the Caucasus under, oh, shit, I think it was Peter. Right, that's like I the, believe it's the... pronounced Piter. I've been trying to practice. <laughs> there we go. That's the that's the Pyter blueprint for cocky people getting sucked into mountain wars that they didn't really plan out. 
Yeah. Huh. Damn, Andrew, why'd you have to bring so much cred so hard? Why'd you have to cred so hard <laughs> on Return of Dream, So the, the, the reason I, I invited him here was because he really wanted to tell you guys you were wrong. Oh. I'm very ready for that. And I figured I could use some backup here, so <laughs> yep. I, I brought in reinforcements. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, let's yeah. launch in. What are we wrong about? Well, the there there are some old fallacies about the uh, about how the military recruits and what the actual draw of the army looks like nowadays. Um, and the fact of the matter is, it, it's are are you attempting to wage battle with the booty or boot camp theory of Dune? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, considering Frank spent a lot of time with the Seabees in World War II, you would think he would have a better understanding of what actually makes good fighters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's it's not it's not booty or boot camp. I don't think. That okay, yeah. all right. Um, I just needed to or or, may, or maybe it's maybe it's the, the demands of our you know computer based army, the the evils of that you know AI technology. You just you have to be more knowledgeable, more professional nowadays. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean the yeah the army only cares about one thing: it's can you pass a PT test and can we teach you how to run all this stuff. Hmm. So, would in your in your in your opinion, would um, pregnant Jessica pass the PT? <laughs> um, there are actually PT tests for pregnant people. Um, no you shit. get special requirements, like uh, basically you do sit ups and push ups, and depending on how far along you are, at some point you get waived, and then you don't do the two mile run. But she's doing like the the two mile run on sand oh, I, while running. Oh from yeah, was she yeah. is she passing? Is she passing the uh, the test? Oh yeah, uh, okay. the say the Sayadina is passing with flying colors. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, Boyle. <laughs> uh, you gotta leave her alone. Wait, what did we say? It was was yeah yeah. So uh, let's, let's let's jump into um. It was uh, it was it was. Yeah, it was, it was last um, week or the last episode that went up when we were talking. Oh, about I it. had my theory about old school recruitment of Southern good old boys who could shoot well. Yeah, that's uh, part yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. In uh, in Vietnam, yeah, that might have been the case, but like I said, now it's you know the with the volunteer army, everything's more professional. Uh, there's you know thirty percent of the recruits are actually children of service members themselves, and then. No kidding. About another twenty to thirty percent are straight out of the middle class. The army, the army in particular. I mean, that's that's my that was my branch. Um, is exceedingly middle class, huh? Uh, and kind of exceedingly white on the combat arms side, hmm. but uh, which is kind of disheartening when you're dealing with you know a bunch of a bunch of white Americans show up trying to fix problems in countries where there are no white guys. Uh, it's <laughs> yeah. just a just a little problematic. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also mentioned, yeah, you mentioned to me about the um, you know where the, the minorities typically tend to tend to go in the military. You said it's not typically to the front lines. No, um, yeah, it's minor. The the army as a as a whole is a little more reflective of America as a whole racially. Yeah, but there are different <laughs> breakdowns, and it's combat roles, infantry, armor, artillery, aviation. Um, are skewing more towards white males. And part of that's they used to be male only. Um, and then the combat support and combat service support skew uh, more Hispanic and more African American. Um, we don't really know why that is. Hmm. Huh. Um, 
and I'm there. I mean, right now the the studies that are just now being released are they're be, they're concerned that minorities are going to get phased out of army leadership in the next twenty years because so many combat arms officers are white. Um, and then on the enlisted side, I'm sure that will be an after effect. That will be an afterthought because God knows they don't think about the enlisted until the officers <laughs> get fixed. <laughs> I had an interesting moment where I realized that I came from a very different place than most of the people I know now, where we were sitting around, I was talking about how the army or the military recruiters would set up in my high school all the time. And I grew up in rural, the rural Midwest and someone in the, at the party was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you didn't have like the Navy and then the Marines and the army (laughs) and your hallways, like during lunchtime. They're like, no, do you know people who are in the military? I was like, I do you not? I, I know tens of people from high school who went into the military and it was like a group. It was, this is like academics for you. They're like, no, I just have never, I've never known anybody in the armed forces. And I thought, where, what planet are you from? I think that's well, your I mean, you, you gotta remember, we, we've, we've been at war for 20 years right? and only 10, 10% of the American population is active duty or veteran. Yeah. So, I mean, it, like the numbers are pretty low. And then, you know, whether or not they're allowed in high schools and stuff, that's totally dependent on the staff at the school. If they take government money, they got to let them in at least once a semester. But other than that, they can say, no, go to hell. I didn't know that. This is fascinating. Okay, so do we think, how does this Sardaukar work? Because this is an interesting inroad <laughs> to actually talking about okay. more dude things. So yeah. what we've learned recently, which because I saw, thought I read the book, but Andrew, it turns out that maybe I've never have. It's a protectiva myth <laughs> in my mind that I've read the book before. <laughs> so what we've learned is that they recruit them and then they live quite lavish lives after their time on it. Or no, when they're not in active Sardaukar. That works, yeah. right? Right. Where? How do they recruit? This is what I think I've missed in the book. And I feel like y'all will have paid more attention. Yes. The pri- it's a prison well, planet? Yeah, they, they describe it as a prison planet. And then I think just like people who rise to a sufficient... Right, as, as, if you think of it as like a, uh, uh, a stereotypically imagined... Um, right, because I don't think Frank did a lot of research on prisons either. And he's coming up with these theories, right? <laughs> but if you think of it as a stereotypical American prison filled with a bunch of gangs, the idea is, oh, these people who fight their way to the top of the gangs, then one day... Uh, last starfighter style like a Jesus. ship from the emperor lands and is like congratulations you get to come be a soldier and they're like we don't have to be prisoners anymore and we're gonna get to live lavish lives. well no in fact in the previous fighting. chapters we, we even talked about no a lot of times when they get off they're like hey you guys suck you just stuck me on this hell planet for 20 years and then the guys are like actually it was just a test don't worry <laughs> <laughs> Right. Wait, we've we've got we've got the real deal waiting for you over yeah, here. I did the same thing you, you did, and now Barely. look at how yeah you passed. <laughs> this sounds now, like graduate school. This sounds exactly yes. like graduate school. <laughs> Much like Anathem, it has more to do with graduate <laughs> school than anything else. That's so okay, do they know that they're? But they come from the the prisoners come from the universe where the Sardaukar exists, right? So That's they an interesting. Know? Yeah. That might so be a plot hole. So, yeah, Lily, Lily's saying that the Sardaukar should know how the Sardaukar are made because they are right? from the same universe. Right, or, so... Well, but the, least, the, the very dude. least, what Lily's saying is people sent to Seleucus Secundus land and they know 
that Sardukar exist. They are all criminals from right. the outer worlds. Right, but maybe they don't know they're on Seleucus Second. But uh, also, okay. they're being sent to prison. Right. Like a prison planet to be slaves. But we're finding out that most people don't know that the Sardukar are coming from that That stock. is also a thing we know. Yeah, that, yeah I was going to say, yeah, du- uh, the Duke... Okay. Uh, it was just Duke like Leto revealed to us. Knowledge says, "Oh, hey, yeah, the Emperor keeps his secrets about Seleucus Secondus." Yeah, like Leto knows. Shout out, Mapes has no idea. <laughs> There's nothing that that woman right. doesn't know. Okay, <laughs> Alan, you right, keep well, her name out of your mouth. <laughs> should we? Should we read the quote for this chapter so we can start tying some of the stuff we're saying into what actually happened? Absolutely. Do you want to read the quote, Josh? Uh, I will. If I can also read the next. You can read both quotes. That's fine. Fine. Deal. All right. Yeah, this quote is kind of a punishment. Go for it. It is kind of, yeah. You cannot avoid the interplay of politics within an orthodox religion. This power struggle permeates the training, educating, and disciplining of the orthodox community. Because of this pressure, the leaders of such a community inevitably must face the ultimate internal question to succumb to complete opportunism as a price of maintaining their rule or risk sacrificing themselves for the sake of the orthodox ethic. From Maudib, The Religious Issues, by the Princess Irulan. The lowest selling of the volumes of the Princess (laughs) Irulan series. By far her least popular work. I should be into this quote. Like, even with Josh's, like, very soothing, great radio announcer voice, I was, like, heard the first line, I was like, cool, cool, and then I distracted myself. (laughs) I listened to this quote about 30 times. I have no <laughs> fucking clue what, he's, what she's saying. Okay, so I think I know what he's saying. Um, and then people can people can contradict me on this. But I think part of the reason this quote is such an eye slipper is because literally all he's saying is people involved in running religions are also playing politics. Yes. Wait, wait, yeah. which is... And he's saying some at the end of that road, you have to choose between... Uh, prioritizing the political outcome or the religious belief. Well, yeah. He, yeah, he's saying that in order to keep, to maintain your rule... Right, if you want to remain in charge of the religion... Mm-hmm, you have to sacrifice... Sacrifice... You sacrifice the orthodox, ac- orthodox ethic to complete opportunism. So maybe, mm-hmm. what he's, maybe what is supposed to be pithy in there is the complete part. He's saying if you try to, make, to remain on top of the like religious politics dogpile at all you sacrifice any claim to uh dogmatic authority right to to actually being the religiously correct person here's how i'm going to summarize it if you are in the unified religious political structure let's say you're in a some sort of political structure like that you either sell out or you burn out Again, it's back to grad school. There you go. You sell out or you burn out. You either go pure opportunistic to maintain power at all costs, or you burn out trying to live up to these orthodox ideals. And maybe there's parallels in uh, army leadership positions. I don't know. What do you think, Andrew? Uh, oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, uh, to, yeah to, to get to a certain point, you have to get congressional approval. You literally have to play politics. Wow, okay. <laughs> See, hmm. there we go. Here we go. Um, so let's do a quick 30-second rundown. Andrew, do you want to do this one, or do you want to do the next chapter? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, do, I'll jump on this one. All right, sweet. That's a break from our labors. So in this chapter, yep. So in this chapter, our hero, sort of, you know, Paul, <laughs> is uh, going to ride a sandworm. 
he hasn't seen himself ride this worm because he's still uh, baby Quesets. Um, <laughs> and so he doesn't really know how it's going to go. Uh, but he's, you know, he's impressed by the size of the maker that he draws, and he uh, hops aboard, gets reprimanded by Stilgar, and then they have uh, the rest of the chapter is pretty much them just having a little sad bro moment where they think they're going to have to fight each other, and before they spot an ornithopter and everyone bails out. Andrew That's nailed it. <laughs> we have never done such a succinct yet accurate 30-second rundown in the entire history of this podcast. I think that's true. I'll take a bow. <laughs> I like to think of this chapter as the next installment in Dune Dudes. Dune Dudes! Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we got some new Dune Dudes. It's not just Paul and his mom now as the Dune Dudes. It's Paul and Stilgar. Paul and Stilgar are the... Well, and literally all of Paul's Dune Dudes hanging out in the back of his worm <laughs> spanking its yeah, butt. So, yeah, yeah, he's got a bacon with dudes. him. And Johnny's yeah. there too, yeah, right? Johnny's she's, there, yeah. She's in a, in a very formal capacity. She's, she's like grading him, I think. Yeah, she's observing. She's the like. Don't proctor. you remember? She's like she's you the can do exam this. Proctor. You can do this. Like I'm here. Yeah. I'm here for you as your woman. Okay, now I have to be. Yeah, now I have to be like an official referee of your calling of this worm. So uh, maybe people disagree with me on this. Though I feel like once he makes it onto the worm, it, he passed. Uh, which brings up the question: Why was there a grader? Right, Shai Halud <laughs> is the proctor of this yeah. exam. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, that's not really true. I mean, Stilgar gets up there, and Stilgar's like, that was sloppy as shit. Like, that was, (laughs) that was gross. (laughs) Like, I mean, he's definitely being graded. He's like, I've seen child do this, children do this better. Right, 12-year-old. What did you say, Andrew? Wait, wait, hang on, sorry. I know I asked you to talk, but it's ridiculous (laughs) that he gets up there, and he says to, oh, I guess Paul is 17. He says to 17-year-old Paul, I've got 12-year-olds that could do that better. And it's like, great. Not a huge difference, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good good point, kind of. Huge difference? Are you kidding me? Anyway, sorry, Andrew. Please. No, you're good. I mean, for all we know, Paul might be, you know, itty-bitty 17-year-old, and his 12-year-olds are, like, you know, varsity football players that would play, (laughs) uh, you know, high school and middle school. But, uh... Certainly in the early like, chapters, Paul is described as short several times. Yeah. And he grew up soft on a soft planet. Water fat. <laughs> That's right. But, That's what uh, I tell you know, myself all you know, the time. The, yeah, the Fremen <laughs> might, high, might have high scores. It's like the Fremen rodeo. It's like you get judged on how hard it was for that particular worm mm. and how long it took oh, you to get on. Oh, yeah. Worm yeah, rodeo. That all checks out, actually. Do you think the Fremen have a worm radio? You're looking at it. I mean, God, if you're in the middle of the desert and the only, like, (laughs) why wouldn't you have worm rodeo? It sounds amazing. In this chapter, Stilgar says, oh, yeah, like, you rode those other worms that were just going to drown anyway. So it's like, clearly they do have, like, worm bullfighting and worm rodeo. And it was such a throwaway thing of, like, oh, those are the domesticated worms. Domesticated. Domesticated worms? Where are you keeping them? How? What do you feed them? That's an entire, that is a totally different thing than this, like, pastoral, I guess they're pastoralists. They are, they, what do they, follow the worm herds? Do do they, so many more questions than thinking them as, as pure hunter-gatherers. I mean, I don't think they're, like, purely domesticated. I think these are just the ones that they, like, 
have gotten desensitized to being ridden. No, they said they bred yeah, they, them. Yeah, they do. They do. They did mention that they breed them exclusively for the water of life. Yeah, yeah. and the sea ritual. Yeah, I, I, I think it's that. <laughs> shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Which begs the question: What does worm breeding look like? What's that process? Is it AI? Is it, <laughs> do they put a do they, they put a chalk bag around the boy worms front and just look to see what other worms have the red mark on them like sheep? What are they doing? Do y'all know that that's how that works? Mm. No. So, but also, you, me and Andrew know the answer to your question, but we're not yeah. going to tell you because it's a spoiler. <laughs> Ooh, don't tell me. Ew, don't tell me. No. <laughs> I'm going to imagine it like they're fu- furry, furry sheep in the rock outcroppings of Dune, and they put a chalk bag around the, the ram so that when he mounts the female, there's a mark so they knew they, they know which in the herd have been bred or not. Most things are done with AI anymore, but if you are doing a um, non-AI breeding program, that's how it works, which I just love. It's so pragmatic. It's like, well, there's one. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely missed a lot of that, I guess. But um, <laughs> can, can we talk about Sand Daddy here? Um, I mean, that's the meat of the chapter. I'm sorry. Did you say Daddy? <laughs> Sand, I did say Daddy. I mean, it... I mean, Stilgar is definitely Sand Daddy. There's there's a, there's an there's an interesting there's yes. an interesting Sand Sand Daddy moment here. There's this really I, f- I found it just like a off putting conversation where they get to the top and st- he says to Stilgar, "Then I am a Sand Rider still." He's like, "Alyum, you are a Sand Rider this day." It's like, "Then I may choose our destination. That's the way of it." And I am a Fremen born this day here in the Habanya Erg. I have had no life before this day. I was a child until this day. And so he was like, not quite a child. He fastened a corner of his hood. And then and then Paul says, but there was a cork sealing off my world, and that cork has been pulled? There is no cork. I would go south, Stilgar. Like, what the hell is this conversation? Oh, well, this is, so, no, this is all about Stilgar knows that if they go south into the bulk of the Fremen population, Paul will be forced to call him out. Yeah, I understand that part of it. It's the the strange questions about am I a sand rider and am I a I was a child before today and then this whole thing with the court. I read like, it differently. I read it as Stilgar being like super dismissive where Paul's trying to be like too excited like I am a man now and he's like no. He's like I know I was a child before this day. He's like I mean, you have a wife and your own child, so you weren't a child before now. Is it stop? And then he's like, no, 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 Stilgar, I had a cork. He's like, there, Paul, there's... I've been unbunged. <laughs> I might not have said anything if it hadn't gotten to the third the third <laughs> section about the cork. Right, the cork like, is where he, they lost me. That's where he shut it down. He's like, there's no cork. Paul, shut up. <laughs> there <laughs> is no... He wrote the word. He did it sloppy. It's fine. Like... Get over it. <laughs> no, see, I like your interpretation of him saying there is no cork as if there never was a cork. But yeah. I think what he's saying is, yeah, your cork's been popped. Like, <laughs> you, you've been decorked. From a literary perspective, all of that <laughs> oh. is about the conversation that Paul and Stilgar and Gurney have in the Daddy Triumvirate next chapter, right? Where basically Stilgar says, or maybe it's this chapter. At one point, Stilgar says, I know what Usul 
wants and what Usul would do. I do not know what Paul Moadib wants and what Paul Moadib mm. would do, and I do not know what the Duke of the Atreides wants and what the Duke of the Atreides, right? I, I, That's you are job. now a Fremen adult, but that doesn't mean you weren't already adult under these like two other worlds that you are a part of. But that doesn't mean that the real world conversation that they're having on the back of this worm isn't a very awkward. So there's no cork? <laughs> I don't have a cork anymore, right? My cork's gone. So I'm always like, as much time as I spend about men, I still, I never kid myself that I understand what like conversations like this like, <laughs> are like, right? Like, I've never had a conversation like this in my entire life. I was, I felt no. awkward reading. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Maybe that's just Frank trying to imagine what emotional conversations are like between adult men and like men coming of age. So we yeah, get to I, another I, one that I think is a little. Sorry, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, I'll go to I, another one next. I mean, to me, it was you know Paul fully commits to Fremenhood, whereas you know Jessica seems like she's just kind of in it to survive. She's like, all right, I'll go along with the motions. I'll do what you guys need me to do. I'll be your reverend mother. Great, but I'm still Jessica, you know, concubine of the Atreides. And Paul's like, no, I am in this shit, and he's seeking approval. That approval from Stilgar because. Stilgar is the most Fremen Fremen. And Paul's like, am I Fremen? And Stilgar's like, yeah, sure, bro, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I lied. Your, your line about him, about what Stilgar said about Usul, that, that is on like... Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure. <clears throat> I've curious about this. I think, like, Jessica, she's in it for Paul. Not just for her survival, but she's going to ride this... I think she has bought into the mythology that Paul is the Quisset Satirach. I think she's bought that full cloth. And if that means drinking the water oh, totally. of life and mean being those things. So I don't think it's so much like, and I don't think that's what you're saying, but I was like, oh, do I think this? And it's like, no, she's she's following Paul. Now everybody's just following Paul, which is like, bum, 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 couldn't we have found something different to follow? But Alec didn't like my sad prices, right, Trumpets? It no. was so good. Oh, I just, <laughs> yeah, I didn't, uh, yeah. I didn't recognize it. That doesn't mean it wasn't good. It was spot on. I'm a let's yeah, make a deal like, yeah, guy. Was... Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Alec. I was so... always partial to press my luck. Press your luck, right? No whammy, Is no that whammy, the one with no the whammies? Yes! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... I don't know. What else of content is there in this episode, You pass, right? you pass really quickly by the fact... Let's yeah. just talk about the logistics of worm writing. If you guys... If Josh gets his yeah. ornithopters, I just want to talk through, like, maybe oh, I'm Andrew... I'm just as into worm writing. Let's do it. <laughs> maybe Andrew can give us the sort of tactical rundown of how one uh, ride, mounts and rides the worm. <laughs> as soon as I started well, saying I, it, I, so I actually... I actually went back and reread that part of the book uh, like 20 minutes before the podcast because I was like, Wait a second, did it say he mounted it that way? Because the way it's described is he runs up, he stabs the hooks in, yeah. and then he throws his feet over. He's running on the ground and, like, straight up, like, grabs the hooks <laughs> and does, like, a full human sideways foot onto the worm as yeah. the worm is pulling him up. Yeah. How is that possible? Actually, yeah. I have to say, from a rock climbing perspective, it's pretty doable. Okay. Like, okay. when you see, like, what the shit boulders can do, like, I don't boulder, because boulders <laughs> I was like, I... no, actually, um, <laughs> let me tell you, as someone who mounts worms all the time, it's pretty doable. No, but, like, is I this, only is do... Is this a sport you're talking about? I don't know. 
Yeah, so I only do vertical climbing, which is where you just walk up to a, a vertical thing and you climb it kind of like a ladder, but with a lot of weird leg extensions. Bouldering is much... Well, some people think it's easier. I think it's much harder. Bouldering involves a lot of overhangs and just kind of like... Like, literally people just run up and just like grab two tiny rocks and then they hook into the rock with their feet and they do... And they're not at like pro athletes, right? These are just like yeah. relatively competent skinny ass people with high friction shoes you'd be really shocked at how strong i'm i'm imagining more of those videos where someone walks up to a, a light i'm imagining those people that go up to the light post and grab the light post and then act like they're being blown in the wind do y'all want to talk about yeah that, yeah, that was kind of how i yeah that was yeah. how yes. i envisioned it i'm with andrew yeah. it's impressive as hell it takes a crazy amount of core strength and he just He's walks up deep. the worm he is the quiz at Saturac. Yeah. Speaking of which, can we take a snack break? Oh, yeah. Well, if you're feeling peckish out in the desert, try 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 this quiz at Hattersnack. I like snacks. So. What the fuck, Lily? <laughs> this is my totally natural transition <laughs> to the segment. Josh, do you, really... you want to try again? No, that was fine. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Josh got mad that I never have a quiz at Hattersnack prepared, and yet again I didn't, but I thought about it two seconds before we started recording. So here's, I don't like to plug big name grocers, but I'm holding up two small jars of condiments. So today's Hattersnack is a condiment. Trader Joe's has these um, pepper spreads. This one is Italian. Spreads? Spreads. Spreads. Pepper spreads. They're spicy. And this one is Italian bomba. Hot pepper sauce, Italian bomba hot pepper sauce. And this one is a traditional awesome. Tunisian harissa. Nice. Here's the here's the snack attack. Okay. So you get you some bread, like a little baguette situation. You put the this the spicy spread on it. And then you put some like mozzarella on it and you melt that. That's mua delicious. That's really hits the spot <laughs> when, when the snack attacks. So I recommend these. Look, that was an actual snack this time, guys. It, was it wasn't great. just me yelling at you yeah. about how you don't like good food. <laughs> Fully appreciate it. You didn't have to try and die. I maybe, that. maybe next week me and Josh can try and make it, and then we can tell you about yeah. our, our spice meal. Yeah. Your header snack. You're going to have to go to... I did it. I did a segment. I did a whole thing. Thanks, Trader. Hey. You know how Trader Joe's has, like, different ethnic names for each part? Of it? Which ones do those say on there? I th- God, they yeah. might be new enough that they don't have them anymore. Yeah. I, I, right? I was wondering what if, the... What the, what the, the what Italian the, uh... might have Trader Giotto. It doesn't. It's just Trader Joe's. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, if this was Dune-themed, it would be Trader what? Oh, Trader... Trader Jamis. Trader Jamis. <gasps> Trader Trader Jamis. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to our sponsor, Trader Jameis. Jameis, you you tried and you died. But But you left us your snacks. Yeah. (laughs) I was a friend of Jameis. Too soon. (laughs) Yellow stuff is so good. It is. It does sound amazing. Okay, so we. I think we. But we never got through the worm logistics. That was no. That was a good. That was a good snack break. Yeah. I want to talk some more about worm logistics. Um, My 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 two observations about this. First off. If I were from an 
the job I would not want would definitely be Worm Spanker. I want Worm Spanker. That one would actually be fun, because yeah. then you're just beating the ever-loving snot out of something that could kill you at any second. I imagine just to make it like, go faster. They're like Japanese <laughs> drummers, right? They just like go to the back with these huge felt-wrapped drumsticks, and they're just like... I was picturing more Blue Man Group. Okay. <laughs> I think you need a big, you need a big impact, like just like. Well, right? I mean, I'm, think about like every drummer everywhere. in every orchestra you've ever seen, and how much fucking fun they're having. It is so fun. <laughs> I did that in high school. It was awesome. Well, in junior high, actually, it was so good. The timpani was by far my favorite. Um, but yeah, just imagine like the Blue Man Group thing, but instead of paint flying everywhere, there's just spice flying around. Everything that's blue is their <laughs> eyes. It glows. Everything glows in the dark. It's amazing. Their eyes. They're just tripping balls. They are. They are just, just they're smacking. Balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're smacking that worm up. My other worm logistics point. No. <laughs> <laughs> so much editing. I'm sorry, you were saying logistics, Alec. Yep. Um, This is the first time I think I have read this book since I worked on boats. And I was really interested, and now also knowing, right, that Frank was in the Navy, right? There's a lot of parallels between how you steer a worm and how you steer a large boat. Okay. Please. I know. I'm actually... You have my attention? I sound sound ironic, but I am... Fascinated. I am on war. You sound books. erotic. What? What? What did you say? Ironic. What is wrong with you? Ironic. <laughs> I'm I'm on um worm hooks. We're talking you know, about worms you, and I'm being. Hooks? Yeah, never mind. You could just cut oh, this boy. audio out. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's just the whole thing. Just deleting it. Just cut the episode. It's over. No, no. This is a great episode. Andrew's provided a lot of fantastic content. <laughs> <laughs> Most of what I say comes from our debriefs sometimes. <laughs> okay, that's really good. You're the man behind the curtain, Andrew. We're always like, how does Josh... Hoist by your own petard. <laughs> I, mention, I mention him frequently. Yeah, it's true. He I do notice it. that like Josh comes in with the 11th hour, hour brilliance, and now I'm realizing that he's just like texting you during the episode, being like, hey, Andrew, you got anything interesting to say about uh, chapter 22? No, it's when I run out of material. Oh, yeah. I go check our text messages, and yep. I'm like, huh, when did he say that? Because I'll text you something like, like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to see what you guys talk about on, on this subject. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. All right, give uh, us no, the worm as ship breakdown. So I just, I noticed, especially like in the very first thing when Paul, we, when he's Paul is describing how he gets to the top, right? And then he has to like run over and put in the new hook, right? Yeah. While leaving the other one in place. And then the thing, he's like, okay, I got to do this. And then like <clears throat> 10 minutes later, this worm will have completed the turn I needed to turn in order to pick up these other guys. And then once the other people get on, they have two people like specifically who are up front and Paul just like relays steering commands them. I was like, oh yeah, this is a thing that when you are steering mm. it, you do not steer it for where it is now. You steer it for where you want it to be in 20 minutes because it's bigger than any boat actually ever built by human hand. Yeah. Two kilometer long worm doesn't turn on a dime. And Paul does mention it's a massive worm. Right, it's the biggest. He's like, oh, this this worm will last us twice as long as any other worm we've ever committed animal abuse on. I like that worms have a top and a bottom. That's more what I took away from it. It's like, That's oh, good... kind of... That was interesting. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I found that interesting as well. I was like, why does it need that? It was one of Frank's details that, like, 
managed to feel interesting and not feel like it was interesting to people beyond just Frank, right? It wasn't like a sphincter mm-hmm. tent where Frank was just <laughs> thrilled with having come up with that concept. Oh, yeah. I mean, and later in the chapter, they mentioned about, oh, from this distance, you know, we're just a worm on the surface. You know, how often do worms spend time on the surface? I also was like, wait a minute, wouldn't it be pretty that. weird that a worm was just, like, chilling on the surface? Uh, yeah, and I don't think any of us have an answer, but I was definitely a little put out by that. I was like, that that doesn't make the, the internal logic does not check. Yeah, I did um, relax the other day and watch an entire documentary about o- an octopus. I highly recommend it. Oh, that documentary? Yeah, I was relaxing. And the octopus goes up on land to get away from some sharks at one point. And I was like, no shit. Can you imagine if you saw that? If you were like on the shore and all of a sudden this octopus is like... hi hi uh i don't normally do this but just chill (laughs) so maybe you know i was never here you never saw me right like just play cool (laughs) (laughs) be cool man hold this bag (laughs) i was with you last night between the hours of 12 and 4 (laughs) (laughs) all right i got a question it's not about worm logistics but it's about stilgar so at some Sand point, Daddy. Paul Paul asks Sand Daddy, "You you you'd never kill me, right, Sand Daddy?" And Sand Daddy's like, <laughs> "Yeah, Paul, I'd never kill you." Did did he mean that? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I, I mean this. I mean this is kind of the point in the book where Stilgar becomes less Sand Daddy and more Sand Believer. Mm. Um, but he would let him die from uh, from. You did this worse than a twelve-year-old, and you've got no cork. So, <laughs> well, I mean, in that, to be fair, in that you did this worse than a twelve-year-old, he then actually provides constructive criticism of like, hey, these are the things you did wrong, and it's like a reminder of like, hey, you're part of the tribe. Use all the tools that are out there. You don't have to do everything yourself. True. Yes, that was a good line. Also, Paul instinctually knows everything about Fremen stuff, like how to you know don his still suit. But he doesn't know like the perfect ins and outs of getting up the side of a uh, of a worm on test day. But this is a thing that, like, I hate to say it, but this has come up before, right? Anything where Paul could easily die in the doing of it is hard right now, because right? What did you say? He's still baby. Uh, ba- baby baby yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can't see it that well if it could easily kill him. Oh right, I forget that part. Or like Lily's theory, he can't see shit. He's just pretty good at analyzing possibilities. Yeah, he. I think he's right about being a super mentat. I am not buying all the other stuff. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I, I posited to Josh last week on this one, and you know, in the way that Frank writes time, is Paul kind of like you know, world, not to throw in a worlds collide moment here, but oh, is Paul, oh shit, Andrew's bringing a segment. <laughs> yes. Is Paul running around like Morty with a crystal to his forehead, like? Okay, this is the outcome I want, so I gotta do X, Y, Z to get there. Yeah. Oh. And you know, there there are certain moments it's like he, that crystal doesn't give him any power. He's just looking at it like, oh shit, I gotta figure this out on my own. <laughs> it just right. seems very. It, it just seems very convenient when it does. It does it, which is useful for Frank. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, totally narrative. <laughs> All right, we rode the worm. We spanked it. We rode it. I think we're pretty good. I think the audience would be thrilled if we if we cut this episode at 43 minutes, the audience is going to be delighted. Right? Yeah. 
Okay. I don't think there's much else to say about this chapter. I think Neither. we can all take a drink retrieval break and uh, come back to do the next. Well, this will be the end of the episode for our listeners, so. Yeah. Oh, Sorry, shit. bye, bye. I've yeah. spilled the secrets. No. Shit. Cut that. Cut that out right now. Uh, yeah, any final thoughts? He asked meaningfully. <sighs> Do I even have a one more thing? I, I mean, normally your one more thing is just you parroting Andrew, so I'm going to guess no. <laughs> Andrew, do I have a one more thing? <laughs> uh, let me see. What else did we talk about this week? Are you going to check our notes? Um, I mean, most of, most of our notes are stuff that's going to happen next chapter, so right. I guess not. Ooh. Yeah. Well, one more thing is to join us next week when we uh, get our worm spanking on. Nope. Yeah, it never sounds right when I say it. Sorry, guys. Never. Uh, yeah. Later, nerds. Uh.